Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text today is going to be taken from the reading in Isaiah. You may be seated. And we begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks on this day for the celebration of the first coming of your Son. And Lord, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, we pray you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive Jesus on his return. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy new year. Right? It's a happy, it's a new church year, as I know you are all ready for here this morning. We begin our new church year with the season of Advent today. And the more I am in the ministry, the more I'm beginning to realize that Advent is really maybe one of the most important parts of the entire church year. This is a season on the church calendar that teaches us in the church to act in a manner that is very different from the culture that is all around us, especially this time of year. Because Advent is a season that teaches us how to repent. And repentance is not really what is on our minds right now. What is on our minds right now? Well, decorations and parties and Mariah Carey, Bing Crosby, Elf on the Shelf, all the noise, all the madness is kind of overwhelming us in these days. And the church is called to something entirely different. All of the noise tends to draw our attention away from, you know, other things like, I don't know, God, His Word, His justice, His mercy. Advent is a season that beckons us back out of the noise and back to the triune God and His work for us and for our salvation. It calls us back to His mercy. It drives us away from sort of the jingle bell idols that are all around us and brings us back to the Son of God who came first to seek and save the lost and who will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead. So this is a season of repentance, not of, of opulence. A season of prayer and lamentation and longing, not just mistletoe and holly. Now, this year at CLC, our guide through the season of Advent is going to be the prophet Isaiah. Of all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah really stands out as one who preaches perhaps more clearly than anyone of the coming of Jesus Christ. Isaiah is actually called by many the fifth gospel because he so clearly lays out for us the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah writes to the Israelite people as they are preparing... <laughs> For some terrible days in the future, Babylon will soon come and wipe the nation out. And so Isaiah is teaching the people how to pray while they're in exile, to pray and long for God and what to look for while they await for God to come and save them. So what Isaiah will do for us is he will teach us how to pray, how to wait, how to cry out to God in the midst of our longing, in the midst of our waiting, in the midst of our, our, our own exile. But more importantly, what Isaiah is going to do is he is going to teach us about the God we pray to. He's going to deliver to us the God who saves. He will point us to the God who is for us. And what we're going to learn about this God from the prophet Isaiah 
is he is not the God we would expect. As he writes today, God does things we do not look for. He is the God who comes down and acts for those who wait for him. And that's really what we want God to do, right? To come down, to act for us who are waiting for him because we are waiting and we are longing for him to return. We understand as we look at the world and the mess we seem to be in right now, we understand Isaiah's cry and we find ourselves crying the same thing. Oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens, tear the sky apart, and come down and save us. It's very easy for us to identify with this, but it's good for us to know why Isaiah wrote this in the first place. As I mentioned already, he was writing to the Jews who were going to be in exile in a place called Babylon. Babylon was going to come into Jerusalem and they were going to decimate it. They destroyed the temple. They enslaved the people. They killed a number of the people. And then they took the people off into exile, dehumanizing them and harming their existence. All the while, people longed and cried out to God, trusting in a promise, clinging to a promise that God would come and save and bring them home. So Isaiah teaches them to pray, rend the heavens and come down. Come down here and fix this. God, we're in a nightmare right now. It is a disaster. We need your hand to rescue us. We need your justice to punish our enemies. So we wonder, where are you? They cry, why is it taking so long? And they wonder, shall we be saved? Are you going to come and save us or not? Or is this going to go on forever? Shall we be saved? If I'm honest with you this morning, and I have no reason not to be, that's a prayer I get. It's a prayer I wonder about. I mean, I, I look at the world around us right now, and I'm wondering, is he, when is he coming back? Are we going to get to be saved from all of this? It's a, it's a mess right now. I mean, we, we're looking at things, and there's a, there's a part in Isaiah where he says, the days will come where people will call evil good and good evil. And that's what we're witnessing right now. Things seem so out of hand. We live in a world where terrorists are called peacekeepers and the, the clinical killing of children is called health care. We see the value of people being decided by the color of their skin. Still, we're watching wars, starvation, injustice, and a hopeless slate of candidates who are all going to promise you salvation. <laughs> when we look to the church, matters don't seem to get much better. Numbers are declining. People are leaving the church. People who are near and dear to our hearts are leaving the church right now. And it's also gut-wrenching. And so we're saying to ourselves, and really we're crying out to God, rend the heavens and come down. Are you going to save us from this? Are you going to fix this? Are you going to make it right? So Isaiah teaches us to pray in this way. He calls out to God for justice. When will you show up? This is what he says. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, and no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Look, God, we know who you are. We know what you've done for your people Israel. We know how you've saved us in the past. No one knows a God as gracious and as saving as you. So when do we get to experience it? And they're waiting and they're longing. Come down with justice. Come down with your law and bring punishment upon your enemies. Look at all those sinners out there, God, and take care of them. Put them right. 
fix them up so they can be more like us? Isaiah has this fascinating part where he says, You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. And it's at this point that he's in the prayer where he starts to realize, oh, if we're praying for God to come down with justice against sinners, and he works for those who are righteous and holy and good, uh, we, we might not be in such good shape before this God. because We're sinners too. It is so easy for us to open the newspaper or get on social media or watch our favorite news shows and point the finger at the mess of the world around us and point at all the bad things we see going on and try and find who to blame and try and figure out who needs to act in the right way to fix all of this. But when we cry out to God for, to show up for, with justice and his law for sinners, we sometimes forget who it is we are and who it is we are praying to. Because if we want God to look upon sinners with His law, there is no hope for us in that law. I, I picture this, this text kind of like this, where Isaiah is like holding God's finger, and he's like, look at all those bad people out there, God. Do you see that? Why are you looking at me? Look at all of those sinners over there, God. Would you stop staring at me? Would, they're the... Stop! Like God is saying, you want me in justice, you want me in law, here I come. So here's the whole prayer. You meet him who joyfully works righteous and those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? There's a marvelous scene that illustrates this in the book, The Silver Chair. It's part of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And in this book, there's two young children, Jill and a boy named Eustace Scrub. And the great line about Eustace Scrub is that he almost deserved that name. Uh, but Jill and Eustace are taken to the magical world of Narnia. And there's one point where Jill, who is, who is very young, but she's very proud and arrogant, and she wants to prove herself constantly to Eustace, uh, is standing on the edge of a cliff. And Eustace says, come away from the cliff, but she's too proud and she won't do it. So, so Eustace runs to save her from falling, but in the process, he himself falls over the cliff. Now, if you've never read the book, don't worry, he doesn't die, okay? So it's not that sad yet. Uh, well, it doesn't get that sad, but Eustace falls over the cliff, and Jill is terrified. She doesn't know what's happened to him. But immediately, what does Jill do? She tries to let herself off the hook. She says, it's not my fault. He fell over the cliff. Well, later in the story, she meets a lion named Aslan. Aslan is sort of the Christ figure in the stories. And Aslan says to her, human child, where is the boy? He fell over the cliff, said Jill. And then she added sir, because she didn't know what else to call him, and it sounded chic to call him nothing. How did he come to do that, human child? Well, he was trying to stop me from falling, sir. Why were you so near the edge, human child? I was showing off, sir. That is a very good answer, human child. Do so no more. She was in a terrible situation. She had a terrifying lion questioning her. Her friend had died, and she was partially responsible for this in her own mind. She didn't know what to do, and she was trying to justify herself and let herself off the hook, but Aslan would not take his gaze off of her. 
It is so easy for us to look out at the sins of the world and deal with the specks in their, own, their eyes without looking at the planks in our own eyes. To have a sort of self-righteous indignation with the rest of the world. But when God shows up to deal with sinners according to His law, we are terrified to find ourselves grumped, uh, grouped in with those sinners. You and I, as much as we don't want to admit it, we must confess. We must repent. We are part of the problem. Your greed, your lust, your pride, your cowardice, your self-righteousness, your selfishness, your thoughts, your words, your deeds, all of this is just more fuel on the fire of the sinful world we see around us. So suddenly when we cry out, shall we be saved, the tone changes. Isaiah writes, shall we be saved? We who have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, no one who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Shall we be saved? Is there hope even for us? The law put our sins to us and it drives us to repent. And notice how our prayer now changes. When we think of God coming in justice, our prayer is no longer a prayer of righteous indignation, but a prayer for mercy. Crying out to God to, to, be, to be merciful to sinners like us. To show grace and kindness. For we cannot stand before His judgment. Isaiah goes on, but now, O Lord, you are our Father and we are the clay. You are our potter and we are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people. We see nothing in this world that can save us. And when we look at your law, we see nothing inside of ourselves that can save us. So what hope is there for sinners before God? This sounds impossible. It sounds like something that God simply cannot do according to His justice to save sinners like us. But perhaps there is still yet hope with this God. For this is the God who does things that eyes do not see and ears do not perceive. He does that which we are not ready for. He's the sort of God that for when people like Israel, when they were fleeing from Egypt and they had Egypt behind them and a sea in front of them, this is the God who parts the sea so they could cross in safety. When they came to take the promised land and they found their enemies in Jericho with the terrifying wall that they could not penetrate, God knocked it down for them with simple trumpet blasts. This is the God who does miraculous things to save His people. So will He do it again? Will He do something miraculous and unlooked for to save us while we are yet sinners? Shall we be saved? Well, let me tell you what God has done in answer to such cries. God has wrenched the heavens and He has come down. But the mountains didn't really tremble so much when that happened. Something far more miraculous took place. A virgin gave birth to an infant. And that infant would grow. And yes, the nations would learn his name, but not because he conquered them riding a war horse with justice and wrath in his hand. 
because he came humbly riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And though the people there were crying out that he would take his throne and become king, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. Even though they wanted to crown him there, he would only take his enthronement on a cross where he would suffer and die. And as he hung on the cross, the cry came from his enemies, Shall he be saved? He saved others. Let him come down from the cross and save himself if he really is the Son of God. But Jesus refused. He refused such a salvation. He would not be saved from that cross. He would not be saved from the consequence of sin, only it wasn't his sins he died for, for he had none. It was yours. He refused to come down from the cross and he bore the iniquities that belonged to you. He carried your unclean heart. He took your polluted deeds. And He was the one who melted in the hand of God's judgment for your sin. So that you would be saved. So that you are saved. He has done this for you, and not just you. Even for the sins of the whole world. Even for our enemies. You see, this is the sort of God who does the things we do not expect. He comes to save those who are His enemies. Shall we be saved? St. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us the answer to this prayer when he writes, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved from him, by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. At the end of Silver Chair, when we have all of our happy endings going on, everything is kind of worked out. I'm not going to spoil it. It's a great book, but it's, it's a happy ending. But as everyone is sort of rejoicing in the happy endings, Jill is not happy. She is still feeling the weight of her guilt. And every time she sees Aslan around her, she begins to feel worse and worse. All the things she has done wrong throughout the course of the story keep heaping down on her back. We read, She remembered only how she had made Eustace fall off the cliff, how she had helped to muff nearly all the signs, and about all of her snapping and all of her quarreling. And when she was overwhelmed by her guilt in this moment, Aslan looked upon her, but the look on his face was not one of judgment, but of mercy and kindness. He said to her, Think of that no more. I will not always be scolding. That is the God Isaiah gives to you and I. The God who refuses to always be scolding. So we cry out, be not, ter be not so terribly angry, remember not our iniquity forever, and we wait with bated breath for the answer to the prayer, wondering, shall we be saved? And the God who won't take His eyes off of you, as you look up at Him now, breaks into a smile, and His face shines upon you, and He says, those sins, think of them no more. For I will not scold you any longer. 
Look now to my son, Jesus. You want to know what I've done with your sins? Jesus has taken your sins away from you, and he won't show them to me. So I'm not thinking about them anymore. Dear child, we are reconciled, and you are forgiven. And that is the Father's answer to our prayer. On account of Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. In fact, right now, you are. Amen. We pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Help us to know the salvation that you have won for us through his dying and his rising. This season, O oh Lord, teach us to repent of our idols and to turn to Jesus, who has turned towards us in mercy and clings to us. In his name we pray. Amen.